going on? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the End of Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, December the 12th, 2022. It's episode 144 of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can also watch and listen along over on YouTube. Search bar Matt Bernier Show. You'll get this episode along with the 143 prior. And as always, please rate, review, subscribe. If you are on YouTube, make sure the bell icon's lit up so you get notified when new content is uploaded to the In The Money media channel. This week's show, we'll start off with two-year-olds. The males had a number of listener requests about different names and some horses that people were curious about takes on. I won't go over each one of them with past performances, but I'll at least go over the majority of them. And I'll wrap up with some names that many of you are probably familiar with. Some of the names maybe you're not so familiar with, but they're horses that I have my eye on looking forward to their three-year-old campaign, which is going to kick off here in about three weeks' time. The interesting thing, for me anyway, not pedigree matters, don't get me wrong, but we have seen time and time again horses outrun their pedigrees when it comes to distances and things like that. I think the most important pressing things for me are connections that have shown that they can have horses ready to go in big spots. And yes, you're going to occasionally get random instances and random results. That's the name of the game. That's still horses running around. You never know. But also, I want to see what I think is potential. Yes, you need to run fast. And many of these horses will need to run faster. But I think they've at least shown enough potential to think that there could be something there. And the way that they move. Does it seem like regardless of the pedigree that their distance or added distance isn't going to be a problem? So we'll dive into that. My thoughts right now as of mid-December on the two-year-old males, soon-to-be three-year-old males, as we start really in earnest toward the Kentucky Derby. And then we'll wrap up with Week 15 in the National Football League. Another winner last week. Podcast is 9-4-1 and over the past three weeks. Got four plays coming up this week. And we have games starting on Saturday. I guess we start on Thursday, but then you start again on Saturday and again on Sunday and again on Monday. It's a bit redundant, but, you know, it is what it is. I guess no college football. It's NFL's time to play. So we'll have four plays for week 15 in the National Football League. But first things first, let's dive into it. Horses, two-year-old males, soon-to-be three-year-old males, many of them with Kentucky Derby aspirations. I think some are more reasonable and realistic than others, but I'll let you guys decide to run down some of the obvious names that everyone is familiar with whether it's forte or cave rock or blazing sevens or logins or national treasure or having a meltdown extra anejo some of these horses are healthy some of them are sidelined for now there were a number of names that listeners and viewers dropped off in the comment section beneath the video player that they wanted to hear my thoughts on and then i found five that I'm mildly intrigued by a couple of them more so than others, uh, and I'll get into that. But as you can see, we've got past performances for some of the horses people have asked about. Let's start with two horses that came out of the Remsen. They earned competitive speed figures. That's Dubunal and Arctic Arrogance. Now, we'll get to Arctic Arrogance a little bit farther down the line. But Dubunal, he's a good horse. Don't get me wrong. But I'm a little bit skeptical that his two victories have come over sloppy sealed tracks, both of them at Aqueduct, which has been known to be a bit of a horse for course kind of track in the past. 
And that Remsen, yes, it was fast, but they went one, two around the track throughout. And I don't want to take anything away from the performance from this horse. It's just, I have a feeling that we're probably going to get into some deeper water as the season progresses. I also should throw out a caveat to begin before we go too far down this road. If you're looking at these from a sort of futures wager standpoint, I wouldn't take less than 100 to 1 on any of these horses at this point right now. And some people would say even 100 is too cheap. But I wouldn't take anything less than 100 to 1 on any of these horses. Hell, they might be 100 to 1 to make the gate. There's so much that can happen between now and then. Some of these horses are maidens or just broke their maiden. They've never run against winners. They've never earned any Kentucky Derby qualifying points. I mean, a million different things. So you couldn't get me to invest in one of these horses at less than 100 to 1. Now, with that being said, WNL, I, I think is fine, but I want to see more from him. If I could get the... Here we go. Arctic Arrogance. The runner-up in that spot. Set the pace, got run down, lost by a half length. First time on a sloppy track, or I should say second time on a wet track. Broke his maiden up at Saratoga in one of those spots. Goes out for Linda Rice. See the pedigree? Fine. I have a feeling this is going to be a nice New York bread. I don't know that I'm sitting here thinking this is really a Kentucky Derby type. Uh, frosted out of Uncle Mo, for what it's worth, uh, W. No, good magic out of Forest Wildcat. I'll be very curious to see where these horses go from here. And, I, you know, my, my head says they should both stay in New York. I don't know if they're going to or not. The problem is the New York path recently with the exception of last year when you had some some good horses run through there it's been very very lackluster from a competition standpoint so a combination of you you're running in you're at the mercy of just miserable weather conditions and i know you could say that about south florida with rain or even arkansas or you know all these places have to deal with weather this time of year but not only are you dealing with potentially really cold miserable conditions but the level of competition might be a little bit suspect. So when you really get tested in, what, let's say, that final derby prep or whatever it may be going way down the road, do you really know how good you actually are? That would be one concern I have for these two horses coming out of the Remsen. Forbidden Secret. Todd Pletcher trainee, most recently, gate-to-wire score at Keeneland, one by seven lengths, 76 buyer speed figure, 99 time form U.S. rating. That is not factoring in the pace adjusted situation the internal split was color-coded red and he was a little bit on the swift side uh, confidence game came back and won next out uh, you know it's nice that this one's perfect one for one going two turns i have a feeling this one is a notch or two below some of the best that we have in the pletcher barn and you will hear more of those in time i'm not going to talk anyone off of a horse like this at 150 to one but i don't know that i'm necessarily jonesing to go and bet a, a runner in a spot like this has done nothing wrong proven going two turns i'd like to see this one pass a, a horse but it's still so early on that you can't say one way or the other definitively whether or not they can or can't it's also worth noting as i said at the top with a couple of these some of them are sidelined some of them haven't worked in a while i don't know the case for forbidden secret i don't know the case for a handful of these the ones that I like, I did look into to find out where they are and what's going on. Forbidden Secret could be a very nice runner. I have a funny feeling 
a notch or two below some of the best that are in Todd's barn. Confidence game, who we just spoke about, ran second, seven lengths behind Forbidden Secret, comes back at Churchill Downs going two turns, gets to the front, wires that field, earns an 83 buyer and a 103 time form US rating. You get that nice 20 point differential there. So this horse flatters Forbidden Secret in a way, but again, did so in gate to wire fashion. The only other victory came in gate to wire fashion. Granted, I guess a feather in this one's cap, going from six furlongs to a mile and a 16th. Candy Ride, those of you may or may not remember the dam, a Blue Sant. She's by Bernardini, but a Blue Sant is Zenyatta's sister. So distance shouldn't be an issue for this horse. It'll really, I'll be curious to see what happens when this one can't make the front. Because to date, we haven't really seen a hell of a lot of running when this one doesn't make the front. When he does, though, He's in with a chance. So I'll be curious to see where Confidence Game goes from here. Ten days later, ran third behind Confidence Game in that run at Churchill Downs on November 26th. Improved the buyer's speed figure that day up to an 82. Lines up with the 102 Timeform US rating. Prior to that, broke the maiden from a pace-pressing kind of position or a stalking position. Two starts back at Keeneland, going a mile and a 16th. The runner-up that day came back, broke the maiden next out. So you got some positives here. Distance, I don't think is going to be a problem for this one. See Collected, you see Awesome again. I, me personally, I would, I would disregard the Kentucky Downs run. I think it's probably more a product of getting a route race into this horse than anything else. Fine horse at this point in the game, relatively quick too. I mean, an 82 buyer is far from slow, put it that way. And there are other horses coming up on this list that are slower and debatably not as impressive or intriguing. So if you like 10 days later, I'm certainly not going to talk you off. Arabian Night. Now, this is one that I probably could have thrown into that obvious list, but someone specifically requested this one, so I said, all right, why not? And there'll be another horse from this race that we'll talk about in a little while. Arabian Night opener on Breeders' Cup Saturday for Bob Baffert. Goes right to the front, opens up, wins for fun. Absolutely wins for fun. Looks brilliant out on the track. They paid a boatload of money for this horse. $2.3 million at OBS in April of 22. The runner-up, determinedly, comes back and breaks his maiden in his next start, pairing up 83 buyer speed figures. So that 97 that this horse earned is rock solid, stone cold, no two ways around it. I think that is spot on. The question becomes, where does this one go from here? You would assume... It's two turns, and actually, I believe, I could be wrong. Somebody can correct me in the comments or on Twitter. This one may be running, or is that Amer Arabian Lion? One of these horses that is owned by Zidane and trained by Baffert is running in the Futurity at Los Sal on Saturday, or the plan is anyway. Regardless, Arabian Knight is one of the fastest two-year-olds. He's one of the most impressive two-year-olds so far, and he goes out for connections that know what they're doing for getting a horse ready. The caveat with this horse and any of the other Baffert horses is they will not be trained by Baffert in the Kentucky Derby or the lead up to assuming they want to earn points because Bob Baffert is still banned from Churchill Downs. D does that make me look at this horse one way or the other? Well, purely from a, a gambling standpoint, from a futures perspective, and I believe this is one of the shorter prices on the future lists from what I saw. Yeah, I mean, I would at least factor it in. It won't be Baffert bringing him over. It'll be whether it's Tim Yachtin or you know, one of these other trainers that 
either our former Baffert assistants or someone who got some of the stock when Baffert was on the sidelines. Um, I, I think the having Baffert in your corner for a, a big race or shipping out of town, basically, that's probably the better way to put it. It's one thing to win when you're at home and things are all nice and easy and, and straightforward. Baffert has shown throughout the years that he can ship as well, if not better than anyone else, and have his horses run. And that's not that shouldn't be just assumed to be a given. And we saw maybe it was a little bit too much too soon for a couple of the big names last year, specifically Taba, but Messier as well. That would be the only thing I would throw out for Arabian Knight or any of the other Baffert trainees that are very fast and look brilliant, is that he's not going to be the one getting them ready necessarily for the Kentucky Derby. So factor that in when you're taking any kind of a price that could be construed as a bit on the short side. Andiamo Afarenze for Kelly Breen. An interesting runner. The only victories to date have come sprinting. Tried a one-turn mile in the champagne, packed it in, couldn't hang with blazing sevens and verifying and, and whatnot. Comes back in a New York-bred stakes race at Finger Lakes and finishes second behind Acoustic Ave, who came back and won next out with a 75. Minor regression from the 78 buyer that it took to win this spot. The third place finisher and next out winner also regressed, though, from the 76 to a 69. But then you've got another winner out behind that one. The fifth place finisher came back, one next out with a 60 from the 40 in this spot. I think when I look at this horse's pedigree and I look at the way this horse has run and purely on maybe it's too black and white, but the horse is two for three on a wet track, 0 for one on a fast track. Well, and and technically, let's make it 0 for 2 on a fast track because that number is not factored into that finger legs piece or the finger legs race, vice versa. I don't love when we have five starts and I haven't seen the horse run any faster than the career debut. I don't know that I look at this one and think distance despite seeing Langfear on the bottom. I think this one is probably a sprinter and this one probably moves up on a wet track. Purely from a Kentucky Derby sort of triple crown standpoint, I'd be absolutely flummoxed if this one put any dent in that that path. That doesn't mean that he can't be a quality three-year-old in those sort of seven-eighths, six-and-a-half furlong, maybe even one-turn mile kind of races. I think the Pat Day mile, you know, you think of the Woody Stevens or you think of, you know, I, the, the Bay Shore, and then you've got the Amsterdam and you've got the, the H. Allen Jerkins, those kind of races. But in my heart of hearts, I don't look at this horse as a Kentucky Derby prospect. Mo Strike, winner of the Sanford, did so very impressively, runs in the hopeful at odds of 5-2, to two, a shade under 3-1, to one, runs into Forte, who comes back and is going to be two-year-old champion, wins the Breeders' Cup, yada, yada, yada. Packed it in badly that day, though. You could look at it and say simply, built-in excuse, first time in a wet track, didn't appreciate it. You'll note, those of you that are listening, I'll, I'll verbalize it for you. I've highlighted the pace figs in his first two starts at five and a half and six furlongs. You're looking at pace figs between 70, 78 for the debut, 83, 88, 92 in the second start. And he goes off and wins both of those. Tepid, tepid fractions, tepid paces in sprint races for two-year-olds that are usually run at blazing speeds. Then you get to the hopeful. Not only is it a class test, not only is it a wet track, but the pace is considerably faster. 113, 113 for his opening two pace figs. 
Then he flattens out to a 95, finishes up with an 88. Could it simply have been he didn't like the racetrack? Of course. Could it have been taking on better company? Absolutely. I'm also curious. I mean, we haven't seen him since then. I don't know what his current status is. Maybe he got dinged up. Maybe he came out of it, you know, a little worse for the wear. You saw there was a couple of workouts following that immediately, but I, I don't have an update on him. I would just be a little bit leery about a horse that when things got a little bit tougher, he packed it in. Maybe he's going to be one of those that continues to develop, and maybe he's a little bit of a later bloomer as far as the three-year-old sort of maturation process is concerned. But right now, I'd be a little bit concerned with him because he has a name. He's going to be too short a price for my liking, and I don't really know where he is. I mean, you take the 85 out of his PPs, he's not overly fast. And he's yet to go around of ground. Tyler's Tribe. I mean, anybody that's listened to this show knows I love Tyler's Tribe. I, th- I think the story is great. Uh, forgive the Breeders' Cup. We know he bled. It was a big deal. He comes back. He gets Lasix on opening day at Oaklawn. First time on a wet track. Maybe he didn't appreciate that. But you can also say maybe it was the first time he was taking on proper company and he got tired at the end of it. Um, you know, maybe he is... Th- the one thing that I was very, very surprised by when I first started seeing this horse run and watching him, he was barrel-chested. He was built like a four-year-old. And I've used the analogy a million times. I'm not the only one. The little leaguer, the 12-year-old, that's six feet tall, and is just, it's a man amongst boys. But he doesn't get any bigger or doesn't improve. And then all the other kids, as they get older, they get bigger and stronger and faster and their skills improve. And not only do they catch up to him, but they pass him. I'll be curious to see what the future holds for Tyler's tribe just because he was brilliant against nothing at a smaller racetrack. Now you take him to bigger racetracks against better company and a soon-to-be three-year-old. How does he stack up? Purely from a Kentucky Derby standpoint, no chance. No chance. Cyclone Mischief. I've included this one because someone requested, but if I'm being honest, I'm not thrilled by this one. Nearly paired up buyer tops in the first two starts. Comes back, and yes, the buyer speed figure improved to a 79 in the Kentucky Jockey Club. But purely with the way that race was run. And the pace figs involved. Timeform US had that a glacial pace. And for him to pack it in the way that he did, I know some of the horses that ran well rallied from off of it, so maybe it was a bit of a funny track. But, boy, for you to pack it in like that, setting such tepid fractions, I can't help but wonder where do you really stack up. Maybe he'll come back and replicate that 79 buyer or, or crack the 80 number, and he's on to bigger and better things. But right now, I'd be looking at him saying, well, okay, You ran well in a couple of maiden races. Who knows what was in there? You get tested for the first time. Yes, your fig improves. But boy, it was a glacial pace and you had nothing. You had no real resistance when the real running started. That would would worry me for a horse like this. But luckily, he's probably 100 or 150 to 1 at certain books. Arthur's Ride. Nice beginning to his career. 74 buyer in the debut for Mott, 83 in the second start, seven-eighths of a mile, a couple of Saratoga races, ran into Instant Coffee, who we just saw he was the winner of that Kentucky Jockey Club that Cyclone Mischief finished seventh in. 
So he ran against a good horse. But he hasn't been seen since. The good news is you still have time for a horse like this. We're not talking about it as if it's, all right, it's February. He hasn't worked out X, Y, and Z. I would say at the very least, you need to get back on the tab probably in the next three weeks, four weeks, because you're not going to just dive right into five-eighths works and things like that. You got to get back on the tab by New Year's, let's say. Get some foundation, get some runs. If you can catch one of the early derby preps, I say early, it's it's not that early these days because these horses only run once or twice or, you know, all of a sudden if you run three times, you're a horse of a different color. But if you can get a start in late Jan, early mid-Feb, maybe that's all you need. But in order to do that, you got to get back in the tab here pretty quick because you're not going to go into one of those races with two or three works under your belt. You probably need four or five. Arthur's ride, based on those first two starts, absolutely could be something. He's got the pedigree for it as well, and we know he's got the connections. I just don't know where he's been. Now, we're going to get into the five that I'm intrigued by. And this is probably the fifth of the five. Horse called Victory Formation. Trained by Brad Cox. Perfect two for two thus far. Debuted at six and a half, came back, took on winners at six furlongs. By Taprit out of a smart strike mare. Pedigree, I would think, indicating longer will be better. When I watched the combination of greenness, because this one was headed and battled back on the inside, but he's looking around a little bit. I think he's on the green side. But also, I find it very curious that Brad Cox is one that I think you can trust more than than just about anyone. And I mean, I, I you know, Chad and Todd and Baffer and, and all of them, they, they all understand as well as anyone too. But my, my point is, Cox usually knows when he's got a horse with stamina. Where route of ground or a mile or beyond is going to be in a horse's wheelhouse. And he's also not afraid to find out early. Remember what they did with Loggins. Loggins broke his maiden sprinting. They came back in, what, three weeks, going a mile and a sixteenth. And he got into an absolute battle. He ran a better race than Forte. And we know what Forte went on to do. So it's not as though he's unwilling to stretch a horse out immediately. I find it curious that he went here going three quarters. I don't know the story behind it. But I believe they're going to try to stretch this one out to two turns in the very near future. But the fact that there's even a little bit of, well, maybe he can, maybe he can't. Uh, mm prevents me from going all in on him or buying all in on him I should say I think but to start there's really no knocks bit on the green side think he can improve 81 and 85 buyers 100 and 102 time form US ratings I think victory formation is very promising expect more now remember earlier we chatted about Arabian night and I said there's going to be another horse coming up in here I'm sure many folks thought it was going to be determinedly expect more I would encourage you to go back and watch the opener on Breeders' Cup Saturday. This horse could not have missed the break worse and still run in the race. I mean, he completely walked out of the gate. And you look at the chicklets on the bottom of the screen, he's off the screen for a portion of it. And then all of a sudden, they're rounding the far turn. Arabian Knight is already, you know, he's still on cruise control, but he's about to put the boots to the field. And you see these Rapoli silks come whipping out of the back of the pack. And a rat, yeah, you know, a rat's under the whip already. 
but this horse is motoring. And for him to make that kind of a move, and yeah, he got a little bit shorter at the end, but he was still running on. You see the incremental split here from time, oh, excuse me, from the Daily Racing Form, their Formulator product, 1267, he got that final furlong. For him to basically be in an all-out, I don't want to say all-out sprint, but close enough considering how poorly he started, I think it's a positive sign. Now, he's going to need to iron out the start. But for a first-time starter, I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt. City of Light on top, tap it on the bottom. 71 buyer, 92 time form US rating. I think expect more showed enough anyway to make you think, all right, we get some things to iron out, but he might be okay. He would probably be my fourth choice of the five that I'm interested in. Now we get into the, the juicier spot, right? And the interesting thing about the three horses that I am most fascinated by and really, it's kind of 1A, 1B, and then 3, or 2, however you want to stack them up. They're all by Tappet. We'll start with Signator. Shug McGahey. It's when broke his maiden at the Belmont Aqueduct meeting in the middle of October. He's paired up 73 buyers to start his career. You all know how I love paired up buyers. Third place finisher came back and improved their buyer next out by 11 points. From a 63 to a 74. Signature was toward the back of the pack early on. Moved up on his own beneath Javier. Granted, the pace was glacial. But he moved up very comfortably. He's in sort of a, a bit of a pocket kind of position. But now he's stacked up in behind runners as they round the far turn and they get ready to hit the top of the lane. And thankfully for Javier and, and everybody that bet on this horse at 3-5, to five, the rail opens up. Javier points him down to the wood. And he bursts on through and looks really, really good, extending and finishing down the lane. Now, you can look at it and say, oh, well, you know, got lucky that it all worked out. For sure. But I think for him to be able to wait as, as patiently as he did, the horse didn't get crazy underneath Javier, right? He was in a good spot. Javier had to take a bit of a hold on him. Wait, 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 wait. Many young two-year-olds at that point are going to start throwing their head around, being like, bud, let me go. Well, there's nowhere for you to go. For him to show that and then still be able to quicken through that hole. And I know it was probably a path and a half. Might have even been close to two paths. I've said it before. Just because a hole opens up doesn't mean it's going to end up working for you. You still got to have the horse to go through the hole. Javier sends him along. He shoots up the wood, goes on and wins for fun. Love the gallop out as well. Tap it out of a Seeking the Gold Mare. They paid 1.7 for this one. I think Signature is a very interesting runner. Now, again, I don't know what kind of price you can get on him. But I think he's a really intriguing option. And a name to keep an eye on going forward. Now we get into the 1A and the 1B. And I'm going to start with the 1B. Slightly behind the other one. This is a horse called Tappet Trice. Trained by Pletcher. $1.3 million purchase. Tappet out of a Dunkirk mare named Danzatrice. She's a multiple stakes winner routing on dirt. This horse debuts at Aqueduct at the beginning of November, day after Breeders' Cup Saturday. Bet down to 2-1. to one. Very, very slow out of the gate. Extremely slow. Kind of bides his time at the back. Begins to inch up a little bit. 
but he's in behind horses, having a bunch of kickback thrown his way. The pace also is glacial, just more pedestrian than pedestrian. Pedestrianer. And this horse is, put it this way, to me it's the definition of an education. I wouldn't have held it against him if he didn't flash home the way that he did. But after all that, he breaks slow, he's taking kickback, he's moving up in between horses, waiting, this, that, and the other. When Pratt really gets into him at the end, and he sees a little bit of daylight, he finishes really, really strong. Now, a combination of slow start, no pace to run at, kickback at Aqueduct in November, in between horses, the winner wins effectively in gate-to-wire fashion, and the gallop out from Tappet Trice was massive. This is a horse that, in my eyes, wants two turns, wants every bit of a mile and a quarter, the debut fig of 73, 91 time form U.S. rating, but I would imagine that's higher based on the slow pace. I think a horse like Tappet Trice would be one that I'd be very interested in keeping an eye on going forward. And if you can get 100, 125 to 1 on a horse like this, I don't even know what they look like in Vegas. Maybe even 150. Tappet Trice is the kind of horse that I think is a prime time candidate to be a triple crown horse. Got to iron out the start, but again, said that with the other uh, Pletcher runner earlier. It's early. First time starter, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He showed something. He ran on at the end. He's got the pedigree. He's got the connections. Tappet Trice. Put that name in your stable mail. He's 1B. 1A for me is a horse called Tappet's Conquest. Brad Cox trainee. Florent Giroux rode in the maiden score. Tappet out of a horse Greeley mare named Conquest Little Miss. They paid $350,000 at the Keeneland September sale in 2021. Horse debuts in a three-way photo, effectively. I guess it's a two-way photo. Full move madness, just in behind. But we were up there that day. That was Jockey Club Gold Cup Day. Second race, you're watching this. This is a Brad Cox horse that goes off at 16-1, to 1, completely ignored at the windows. Breaks toward the back of the pack. Patiently ridden. Starts to really improve rounding the far turn. Finds himself in and amongst horses. Hole opens up. Manny Franco sends him through. Finds it, goes on, ends up down on the rail. Powerful, the winner that day, makes it real tight on him. And Tappet's Conquest keeps punching on. Can't quite get there, but all things considered, I thought a positive debut. Then they go to Churchill Downs with him. And you remember what I was talking about with victory formation, that Cox is not afraid, if he thinks a horse is a distance type, to stretch him out immediately? Second time out, Churchill Downs, two turns, mile and a sixteenth. Tappet's Conquest breaks much better. But going into the first turn, if you can find the replay, a couple horses to the inside, they get very, very tight. They come together. They start drifting out. They actually clip this one's ass end. He's probably five, six path rounding the first turn, but he's forward. And the horse just inside of him, the pace setter, is ranker than rank. They're going down the backside. Now all of a sudden, a 50 to one shot shoots up the wood. And Flo says, you boys go on. Go on, do your thing. Those first two go off. Now, Tappet's Conquest doesn't completely just say, I'm out. It only sits about a length off of it. Going around the far turn, T 
takes over, looms up boldly, looking very, very well. Flo cuts him loose at the top of the lane, and I just love the way the horse levels off and finishes. He looks like a proper route horse. He goes on. The gallop out is strong. Wins by more than three lengths. 72 buyer, 94 time form U.S. rating. I'm sure some of you that are watching, you see the PPs, you go, 74 and 72. Why do you like that so much? And there are other horses, you know, Dubunal, who just earned a 90. They're not even in the same league. I think it's a combination of things, but the fact that this horse, I like what, what I saw from start one to start two. After breaking slowly, but rallying, he breaks much more alertly on his stretch out in distance. No, he may not have beaten the best field, but the fourth place finisher came back and improved their buyer by six points next out. The sixth place finisher was a next out winner and broke his maiden, improving by 10 points from a 61 to a 71. Now, I didn't see it, and I, you can't find tape of it anywhere, seemingly. But this horse was running in a race at the end of October that was declared a no contest because a rider got injured. So he did start again. I don't know how he was running that day because I can't find tape of it anywhere. But he is back on the tab. And I would think, I believe that was an allowance race. I think in a perfect world, that's where they would go with Tappet's Conquest from here. But now that you've lost a bit of time, I wonder if that changes the complexion a little bit. Is his first start, do you take a shot in a prep race at the fairgrounds or at Oaklawn Park? Just to see, you know what? Maybe this is a little bit too much too soon, but if we think he's got some ability, maybe he can run third, get some points, and we go on from there. This would be my 1A right now. And I believe in the last future pool, he was around 101. Tappet's Conquest. Tappet Trice would be my 1B for Todd Pletcher. Tappet's Conquest would be my 1A for possible derby futures down the road for two-year-olds, soon-to-be three-year-olds. Let me know what you think about any of these horses. Am I on to something? Am I way off? Did I miss anyone else? Also, for next week's show, are there two-year-old fillies that you want to hear about? I know Hoosier Philly is going to be one that will certainly be discussed, but let me know any two-year-old fillies that you want to hear about for next week's show because we're going to do this exact same thing with them. Week 15 in the National Football League. Last, what, four weeks now on this show? Nine, four, and one with the football picks. The model continues to be pretty solid. Wasn't nearly as good this past week as it was two weeks ago, but at the same time, I said it last week, I've said it a million times, whether it be horses, whether it be sports, anything, really, only invest or only make a play when you feel like you're getting the absolute best and you have a relative level of confidence. Don't play just to play. You can do that. But if I'm talking about anything significant and everyone, significant means different things to different people. If you're playing for funny money, you're playing $2 a bet or a dollar a bet or $10 or $20, whatever your definition of funny money is, go right ahead, play all the games. Do, you know, I, it doesn't make a difference to me. The only thing I would suggest and encourage is if you're going to make a play that in your eyes is a substantial one, if you're a $50 better, if you're a $100 better, if you're a $1,000, but whatever your bankroll is, only play or only make an investment when you think you are getting the best of it and you've got an element of confidence. So this week, there are actually four plays that I'm going to be making on the heels of last week where there was only one. I'm going to get back into being a little bit more 
diverse. We've got one total and three sides, three favorites. I'm sure some people don't love that, but I feel pretty good about all four of these plays. The total I'm a little bit up in the air on, although it's the one that my numbers suggest is the most likely to happen. So let's dive into it. Oh, and the other thing, you're going to have games four out of five days for week 15. I enjoy football as much as anybody. It's a a bit much. I don't know if I need NFL games four out of five days. The product's already struggling enough as is. I'm not saying do away with the Thursday game entirely, but, you know, now we've got fewer games on Sunday and more games on Saturday. I know it's mainly because college is off, really, for the next couple weeks until the Bulls start, but... Whatever. I digress. Thursday night, San Francisco 49ers, Seattle Seahawks. The 49ers are three and a half point road favorites. The total is 43 and a half. I have San Francisco winning 24.8 to 20.9. That's a 3.9 point difference in a total of 45.6. You could lean to the over. I don't really want to. Everybody and their brother slobbering all over Brock Purdy. I'd like to see it more than what a game and a half that he's played. Not saying that he can't do it, and not saying that San Francisco can't continue to succeed, but I, I think when everyone continues to get more, I guess, tape, but just when we kind of know more of what he is, he's still a bit of an unknown from an exposure standpoint. And at this level, with the amount of time that coaches and staff put into scouting and this, that, and the other, I'd like to think that when there's a book for people to sort of read from, in terms of this player, I I think things will get a little bit more difficult. And let's also call a spade a spade. Tampa, not very good. Seattle's defense, not very good. So he could look brilliant again on Thursday. I'm still not going to be buying all in on Brock Purdy. I know some people still love them coming out of the NFC. Now Debo's hurt. We'll find out. Uh, it's a game Thursday night that I'm not going to be playing. Again, 24.8 to 20.9. I have San Francisco winning. Saturday, three games. I have one play on Saturday. We'll start with the play. Indianapolis Colts and Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings are four-point home favorites. The total is 47.5. I have Minnesota winning 26.6 to 17.9. That's an 8.7-point difference. Total is 44.4. You could certainly look at the under. Under 47.5, I have that coming in 58.7% of the time. I think there's tremendous value in Minnesota. Minus 4 at minus 110 right now. I have them covering that number 64.9% of the time. That translates to odds of minus 185. You compare that to the minus 110 that you're getting right now. It's a substantial overlay. I think Minnesota, for by almost any measure, is a very average team. Their record would suggest otherwise. But they're not bad. Everyone's saying they're the worst, you know, 10 and 3 team or or whatever their official record is now. I think it is 10 and 3 now. They've may very well be the worst 10 and 3 team in recent memory, if not ever. But that doesn't mean that they're bad. I don't think they're great. I don't think they're winning the Super Bowl. I don't think they're coming out of the NFC. They might not even win a playoff game. But I think this is a great spot. I know the Colts are coming off of a bye, but what has Indianapolis shown that would make you think that they can really be competitive in a game like this? I don't see much, and I believe it's as simple as Minnesota wins a game, they win the NFC North. I, I think this is a great spot for Minnesota to just slam the door shut on the heels of a disappointing loss where they 
you know, I guess there was an element of the game where it was a little bit closer maybe than the final score would suggest. Uh, it was only a one-score game late there in the fourth quarter, and then Campbell kicked the field goal. But the Lions are a pretty solid team. I think they're very comparable to Minnesota. There's a reason that that number was what it was this past weekend. I think Minnesota at home on Saturday, I know it's a short week, but I think they get the job done, and I think they covered the number. I don't want to say comfortably, but I, I think they should. This is a team they should beat. And if they're going to do anything in the postseason, you have to win this game, in my eyes. And I think they're going to. So the first play of the week is Indianapolis at Minnesota. I have Minnesota. I'm going to lay the points, minus four at minus 110. I have that happening 64.9% of the time. Baltimore Ravens and Cleveland Browns. The Browns are two-and-a-half-point home favorites. The total is 37-and-a-half. I have Baltimore winning 21.4 to 20.9. It's only a half-point difference in favor of the Ravens. But when you consider the book has them as two-and-a-half-point dogs right now, maybe there is a little bit of value there. My total is 42.3 compared to the 37.5. Keep in mind, this is based on Tyler Huntley starting, not Lamar Jackson. I don't believe Lamar will be back, but maybe he will be. You could take the points with Baltimore. You could go over 37.5. I just don't trust either of these teams right now. Baltimore is eking by these past two weeks. Cleveland didn't look great against Cincinnati. I know it was close early on, but they are what they are at this point. I said last week I thought Deshaun would continue to get better with reps, and look, he may be a scumbag, but the people that are just sitting here saying, oh, look, he can't play anymore. Well, he's, he's played two games in two years. I think he's only going to continue to get better as the rust is shaken off. I, but... This is a, a total sidebar. I don't have any interest in playing the game, despite the fact that you could, you know, th there's value, theoretical anyway, in Baltimore taking the points and going over. I was texting with my college buddies this morning. Lamar Jackson bet on himself in the preseason, or in the offseason, I should say. Declined that extension that Baltimore offered him, wanting more guaranteed money, this, that, and the other. Unfortunately, after the first month of the season, his form and the team's form start to go south a little bit. Then he gets hurt. So maybe he lost a little bit of value. Maybe he gambled on himself and lost. Let's say now he's worth, from a contract standpoint, 85 cents on the dollar, 90 cents on the dollar. I don't think he's going to take a, a massive hit from a monetary standpoint. But, and we'll get to this team in a little bit with the Sunday plays. If you're Lamar Jackson now, are you better off taking, and I'd have to look at the salary cap, but it's the NFL. They always massage these things to make them work. Are you better off if you're Lamar Jackson saying, let me go to a team like the Jets, who I think have a lot of pieces. I'm not saying they're ready to you know, win a Super Bowl, but I think they're a legitimate number one quarterback away from being a... An 11 and 6, 12 and 5 kind of team. 11 and 6. Is that what it is now? Yeah, 11 and 6. The, the 17 game thing is still weird with the, the numbers. 11 and 6, 12 and 5. I think they're a real quarterback away from that. They've got skilled players all over the field. And I think a guy like Lamar would fit in really well there. So could it be sort of a blessing in disguise that no, you didn't get the bag up front? And maybe you're not going to be able to sign for quite as much as you thought you were going to. But why would you stay in Baltimore with an aging team that lacks skill players? Yeah, it's all catered to you. But we've seen how difficult that is to sustain and to be successful with. Why, why wouldn't I look at a team like New York? It's a bigger market. It's a, 
I would say right now a, a better proposition going forward from a talent standpoint. Uh, Sala apparently is a good coach. You know, I have my reservations over the past year or so, but he's got this team playing well and he's doing it with, let's say, just mediocre quarterback play, whether it be Mike White or Joe Flacco or, God forbid, Zach Wilson. I just, again, sidebar, totally off topic, but I, I if I'm Lamar, in a way, I think this might be a, a, a perfect scenario. Okay, I, no, I didn't get the big money up front, but I'm still going to get paid. And maybe I go to a team like New York that's better suited to win for the foreseeable future. I don't know. I digress. No play there for me. Miami and Buffalo on Saturday night. The Bills are 7.5-point home favorites. The total is 42. I have Buffalo winning 28.1 to 19.6. That's an 8.5-point difference. Total is 47.7. You could look over 42. I'm a little bit worried about the Dolphins. They were really, really bad on Sunday night against the Chargers. All the Tua people, the believers, the big fans of Tua, who were pointing and laughing for the first half of the season, let's say, going on and saying, see, told you, he, he's not nearly as bad as people have made him out to be, this, that, and the other. These past two weeks have been damning. He's been wretched. Now, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. He's probably not nearly as bad as he's been these past two weeks, but he's certainly not the guy, I don't think anyway, that was lighting the world on fire for the first half of the year, and he was in the top three or four in the MVP voting, or not voting, um, wagering markets. That's not him. He's probably not a complete bum, but I don't. I still don't believe he's the guy that's going to go out there and win you games. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I would be afraid of playing an over in here Saturday night in Buffalo. I, I didn't take a look at the weather. Who knows? I can't imagine it's going to be beautiful Saturday night in December in Buffalo, New York. Ozone Park, probably going to... Ozone Park. Orchard Park. Ozone Park is where Aqueduct is. <laughs> um, and I guess, you know, technically you could lay the 7.5 with Buffalo. I don't really want to lay more than a touchdown in a game like this. Divisional rivals. Miami kind of is in a must-win situation. Things are getting dicey for them really quick. Even just from a postseason standpoint, never mind the division. I would lean Buffalo, but it would be a pass for me. Let's move to Sunday. We have the second play of the weekend for me. Philadelphia Eagles, Chicago Bears. The Eagles are nine-point road favorites. The total is 48. I've got Philadelphia winning 33.3 to 20.6. It's a 12.7-point difference. The total is 53.8. Over 48 is very much in play. I have that happening 65.5% of the time. Uh, Philadelphia covering the nine, very much in play, happening 59.9% uh, of the time. I think this is a lot like that Eagles-Giants game. And if you remember, go back to last week's pod. I said, my fear with the over, and look, it ended up happening, I believe. But my fear was the idea that if the Giants are going to win, it's going to be a slow, low-scoring slog. Because if it get if it turns into a track meet like it did, they can't they don't have the horses to run. And Philly was up massive early, and I think the final was what, 34-14 or 35-14? Something like that. Uh, oh, Jesus. No, it got much worse than that. 48-22. So, yes. Hit the over. And that was the lean, but I was just afraid that if it turned into a track meet, the Giants wouldn't be able to put up enough points. Actually, Philadelphia might have covered that on their own. So, same scenario in my eyes with this game against the Bears on Sunday. It's going to be cold in Chicago. I did look this one up. The difference is Chicago's got Justin Fields running around. 
And he himself is going to be able to create more offense, I think, than Daniel Jones and that sort of mash unit that the Giants have on offense. Of the two, Philly minus nine or over 48, I'm more interested in over 48, not just because my percentages have it happening, you know, five and a half percent more often, but I do think the Bears have... I think they have the capability of doing at least what the Giants did, if not more. And if that's the case, then maybe I get a little bit of help from them to get this thing over and ensure that we're over that 48 total. So right now, it's minus 110, over 48 in the Eagles-Bears game. That happens 65.5% of the time based on my numbers. That's going to be the second play of the weekend. Third play of the weekend, Dallas Cowboys at the Jacksonville Jaguars. The line, line's a bit smelly, kind of stinks like shit. The Cowboys are four and a half point road favorites. The total is 48. I have Dallas winning 29.4 to 21.3. That's an 8.1 point difference. The total is 50.7. You could look at the over 48. That's all right. I'll pass. My my gut is telling me that the, the spread being what it is, four and a half. And I've said for a few weeks now that I think Jacksonville is much better than their record would indicate. But I'm wondering if this is a bit of an overreaction based on the Jacksonville win over Tennessee, the dominant win over Tennessee, and Dallas struggling as badly or as much as they did with a bad Houston team at home. If it is purely that, sort of an overreaction, Dallas minus four and a half could be tremendous value. And that's kind of how I'm approaching this thing. I think they cover that number 63.6% of the time. That translates to odds of minus 175. I I just, I don't know. I don't want to sit here and completely throw out the handicapping or throw out what my numbers say based on one week where, let's be honest, I think it has more to do with them looking as bad, Dallas looking as bad against Houston as they did than Jacksonville looking as good against Tennessee as they did. We've talked about Tennessee being a little bit suspect, and Dallas was coming off of a blowout win of Indianapolis, but as I had said last week too, that may have been a bit of an overreaction or an overzealous line because that game was really close through the first half. It took just an absurd fourth quarter from the Cowboys to really truly blow the doors off the Colts. I think they're better than Jacksonville, even on the road. I do like the Jags, and there's always a team. Remember this. File it away. Mark it down in your head. It's a bit anecdotal, but I think there's always at least one team every year that people are interested in or think they are trendy and could be good, and it almost always ends up being one year too soon, and the following year is the year that they pop. So I know many people thought that way about the Lions entering this year, and we'll get to the Lions in a couple games. But whether they make the playoffs this year or not, they're probably going to be ready to go next year. So maybe one year too early this year. I was high on Jacksonville, and I think some other folks were high on Jacksonville coming into this year. Not just because of the whole Urban Meyer thing, but you've got Lawrence with a a proper coach, and a second year under his belt, he gets Travis Etienne back. They've got decent enough weapons. No, they're not the flashiest names, but, you know, Jones and Kirk and Evan Ingram. And, you know, they've got, they've got guys. 
I think Jacksonville could be very good next year. Maybe not an AFC contender, but I can see them winning that division. Division's trash, always has been. As far as this year, this week is concerned, Dallas minus four and a half at minus 110 is the play. Kansas City Chiefs and Houston Texans. The Chiefs are 14-point road favorites. 14-point road favorites in the National Football League. The total is 48.5. I have them winning 28.3 to 17.3. That's a 10.9-point difference. Total is 45.6. You could look under. Uh, you could look at Houston taking the points at home. 14-point home dog. I said last week with that whole Houston-Dallas thing, even though my numbers had Dallas covering that, I, they're still professionals. I don't want to lay 14 points with anyone. If you absolutely had to make a play, I would take the points. But I don't want to. And you only make plays when you really want to or you think you've got a proper edge. It's a pass for me. Pittsburgh Steelers and Carolina Panthers. I'm using Mitch Trubisky as the quarterback for Pittsburgh. Pickett, I believe, has a concussion, but and, and I'm sure many people will disagree. Uh, my numbers, the, the difference between Trubisky and Pickett is negligible. Really not much of a difference. I've well, first things first, the actual number. Carolina is a two-and-a-half-point home favorite. The total is 38-and-a-half. I have them winning 21.6 to 17.5. That's a 4.1-point difference, and the total is 39.1. Uh, no real edges there to speak of. One way or the other, I guess you could look at Carolina minus two-and-a-half, but I just, uh, I'm trying to stay away from games with truly bad teams involved. It's a pass for me. Next game's an interesting one. Detroit Lions and New York Jets. The Jets are one-point favorites at home. The total is 44-and-a-half. I think the Jets are good. I think they're a real quarterback away, part of the reason I brought up the whole Lamar thing. The Lions. I think the Lions are good. Kind of a trendy sleeper pick coming into the season. Had a, that rough patch there early on. Coming out of it, look good now. Probably one year too early. I think they'll be proper players next year. The intrigue with this game is I, I don't know who's going to be the quarterback for the Jets. Is it going to be Mike White? Is it going to be Joe Flacco? I can't imagine it's going to be Zach Wilson. If it's Mike White, I have the Jets winning 23.6 to 22.1. That's a 1.5-point difference in a total of 45.8. With Joe Flacco as the quarterback, interestingly enough, I actually have the number going up. I have the Jets winning 24.1 to 22.2. That's a 1.9-point difference in a total of 46.3. Either way, I'm not making a play on the game. But it might be one of the more interesting ones of the weekend because I think they're both good teams. I think they're both on the upswing. And this is still an important game either way. The Lions, it seems unlikely they can make the playoffs. The Jets are kind of in a must-win situation with the way the wild card's stacking up. I think it's going to be a really fun game. Atlanta Falcons and New Orleans Saints. Uh, I'm omitting this one because Desmond Ritter is going to be quarterbacking the Atlanta Falcons. It'll be his first career start. I don't have any way to quantify that, and both teams suck. So, pass. New England Patriots and Las Vegas Raiders. This game could change a bit based on the Monday night result between the Patriots and the Cardinals. The Raiders are one-point home favorites right now. This is as like 11 o'clock Monday morning. Uh, the Raiders are one-point home favorites. The total is 44.5. I have the Patriots winning 21.9 to 21.1. It's a difference of 0.8 points in favor of New England. The total is 43. I have no interest in betting this game because I could see, despite what the numbers say, I could see anything happening here. I could see a really close game. I could see the Patriots blowing out the Raiders because the Raiders have laid eggs in the past, and it's McDaniels going up against Belichick. 
I could see the Raiders putting the boots to the Pats because the Pats just, I don't think, are very good. I think they're kind of average. I could see high scoring. I could see low scoring. I don't have a feel for the game. It's a complete pass for me. Sit back and watch. Arizona Cardinals and Denver Broncos. I can say the exact same thing for that game as I could that Patriots and Raiders game. The line is actually Arizona minus one, total of 39. Could change a bit based on Monday night's results. I'm also not going to offer up any kind of a projection because Russ is hurt. He's got a concussion, I believe. I can't imagine he ends up playing. But I don't have a feel for either of these teams other than Denver just doesn't score. Yet they did. They put some points up against the Chiefs. Neither here nor there. It's just a game I have no interest in. It's a complete pass. The fourth play of the weekend. I'm prefacing this by saying I'm either overrating the Cincinnati Bengals in every element of my model or I have a massive edge on what the public and the book is offering. And and I know that sounds absurd because that how, how, how real can that be? But I have everything. Everything, all of my numbers are telling me that Cincinnati is not just one of the best in the AFC. They're one of the best teams in all of football. The line for this game, Cincy and Tampa. Cincinnati is a three and a half point road favorite. The total is 43. I have Cincinnati winning 24.7 to 18.4. It's a 6.3 point difference. The total is 43.1. So that is spot on. The difference is I've got Cincinnati nearly three points better than what the book is offering right now. I have them covering three and a half, 61.4% of the time. That translates to odds of minus 159. We'll find out. I mean, maybe I'm, again, I, I acknowledge I could be overrating or overestimating Cincinnati, but we're this far into the season. I feel pretty good about the equations that go into this. And everything is telling me Cincinnati is... Cincinnati is going to rarely be a dog. I think probably only behind two teams right now, based on my numbers. And it would be Buffalo and Philadelphia. And even then, I don't know how far apart they're going to be. I could, I mean, I could do it on the fly. I could mock up something. Maybe I'll do that next week. We'll see. Uh, the, the play here is Cincinnati minus three and a half at minus 110. F- three weeks in a row, going to be going to the Bengals. Four out of five weeks, the Bengals are involved. Every time the Bengals have been involved, we've won. And I feel more and more confident about my AFC championship proposition with the Bengals as each week goes by. Cincinnati covering three and a half at minus 110. Tennessee and Los Angeles. I could not be less interested in this game. I don't know why. On paper there, it's a fun matchup. I just, I don't know. I I don't love either team. The Chargers, the three... (laughs) Try that again. Chargers are three-point home favorites. Total is 46. I have LA winning 22.6 to 21.6. That's a 0.9-point official difference. I know my projection sounds like it's one. You know, if you get down into the second decimal place, things change. Total of 44.2. You could look to the under. You could look at Tennessee catching three. I just am not interested in the game. It's a pass. Sunday night, New York Giants, Washington Commanders. Really, really important game as far as the NFC is concerned. The Commanders are four and a half point home favorites. Total is 39 and a half. I have Washington winning 22.4 to 18.3. There's a four point difference. 40.7 is the total. It's a pass. More sit back and watch. 
And then Monday night, the Los Angeles Rams and the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau. The Packers are seven and a half point home favorites. The total is 40.5. I have Green Bay winning 22.8 to 16.8, six point difference. 39.6 is the total. It's a pass for me, but the only thing I would throw out there is should Green Bay be more than a touchdown favorite over any team right now? That would be the only thing I'd throw out there. If you were hell-bent on making a play on Monday night, I'd probably take the points with the Rams and Baker Mayfield, but uh, I don't see enough of a real edge, and I think they're two mediocre teams. It's a pass for me. So, recap. Four plays this weekend, starting on Saturday. Colts at Vikings. Minnesota minus four at odds of minus 110. I have that happening 64.9% of the time. Philadelphia at Chicago on Sunday. Over 48 at minus 110. I have that happening 65.5% of the time. Dallas at Jacksonville. Dallas minus four and a half at minus 110. I have that happening 63.6% of the time. And last but certainly not least, all of a sudden, my favorite team, the Cincinnati Bengals at the Tampa Bay Bucks. I have Cincinnati minus three and a half at minus 110, happening 61.4% of the time. There you have it, week 15 in the National Football League. So there you have it. Some thoughts for week 15 in the NFL. Some thoughts on two-year-old males and their Kentucky Derby prospects. And maybe if you're looking at future wagers down the road, uh, just some thoughts there. Let me know your thoughts. We need the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. You like the horses. You don't like the horses. Did I miss anyone? And are there two-year-old fillies that you want to hear about for next week's show? And as always, questions, comments, concerns, same spot. We need the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. That's going to do it for this week's show. Until next week, best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 144 of the Matt Bernier Show.